If you have your Bibles today, we're going to go to a very familiar text in Acts chapter 2, verses 47 to, uh, 44 to 47. And uh, though we're no longer in the series in the book of Acts, we're going to use this uh, text this morning to show a truth. And the Lord willing, over the next few Sundays, I want to be preaching about church membership, church membership. Now, I know you may say, well, the idea of church membership really isn't mentioned specifically in the New Testament, and you'd be correct to say that. But you also know, I hope, that church membership is implied in the New Testament very strongly. And uh, we're going to see that this morning. And then I want to share with you 10 reasons why every Christian should be a member of a local church. Why should you be a member of a local church? So let's go to our scripture reading first in Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 44. Now, all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. Every day, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. Now, most everybody who understands this passage in the first couple of chapters of Acts understands that this is the beginning of the church. Now, God had people in the Old Testament, and sometimes metaphorically, people talk about the church in the Old Testament. Well, simply they're talking about the people of God in the Old Testament, those who truly trusted, believed in God. But here is actually the birthing of this new institution that Jesus started, the church. He said in Matthew 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Rather, Matthew 16, I'm sorry about that. Matthew 16, Jesus said that. And so here we find these people including the original disciples and followers of Jesus, about 110 strong. The day of Pentecost comes, the Holy Spirit is given, Peter stands and preaches that sermon. 3,000 were added to their number that day. And subsequently, over the days, weeks, months, and years to follow, a large number of people, as it says here in this verse, were added to those, to them, who were being saved. Now, what does that mean? It means they were being added to the church. And I think we can say, without taking any unusual liberties with the text, they were being added to the membership of the church. Now, I don't think they had an official church role. I don't think they had a list somewhere that had everybody's name on it that was a member of the church. But they had a sense of belonging, and everybody knew who was in, and everybody knew who wasn't in the church. And, in fact, it was not a popular thing to be a member of the church. It was a harsh thing for many because of the persecution. But we do see in every instance of local congregations, especially those that the Apostle Paul started, where there was the same sense of belonging to one another and fellowshipping together, worshiping together, serving together, suffering together, even sacrificing together for the sake of the gospel. So let's pray together and ask God to bless this time and use it for his glory as we share from the scripture. Father, we know that you have started your church and you will build your church. The gates of hell will not prevail against your church. And when you return to the earth, you will find your church waiting 
as the bride awaits her groom. So help us today to have a new understanding and appreciation for your church. We pray this, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you go through the New Testament and you look every time the word church is used, you will find that the word church in the New Testament is used about 96, 97 times, not quite 100. And if you will notice how that word is used, you will know that only a few times, maybe two or three times, does that word church refer to the universal church, the church with a capital C, referring to all the believers all over the world at any given time. Only a few times does it refer, does it refer to the big church, the universal church. All the rest of the times the word church is used, it refers to a local congregation. Now, the word church is used in those two ways. It is a group of people called out from among the populace to be a part of the body of Christ. Mostly, it's used to refer to a local congregation. The church in Jerusalem, the church that meets in your house, as Paul says at least on one occasion. The church in Philippi. The church in Thessalonica, the church in Corinth, the church in Rome. And in some places, it refers to the churches of Christ, and other places, the churches of God. And so here we have this concept of the church, the universal church, which includes all true believers and trust those who trust in Jesus. But mostly you find reference to these local congregations of believers. Now, for a long, long time, for centuries, there was only one church. And that church, as we know it today, is called Roman Catholic Church. The Catholic Church, of course, has changed very much over the centuries of time. But during the Dark Ages especially, there arose dissent, and there were some groups that wanted to reform the church, and they wound up being persecuted and sometimes killed, and the church remained the one church there was a schism in the church at one point so that the Eastern Church and the Western Church divided, the Eastern Church being called the Orthodox Church. Very many expressions of it, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Lithuanian Orthodox, and so on and so forth. With the Roman Church in the West remaining as the largest body of believers. And then comes along that great movement called the Protestant Reformation. Under the leadership of men like John Calvin and Martin Luther and many others, church people and leaders of those church groups began to recognize that the church had gotten far off what they believed Jesus intended the church to be. Instead of being built on the foundation of the apostles and the scriptures, the church became built around a single person known as the Bishop of Rome or the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church. And so it was the belief of the reformers that many different practices that the Catholic Church had undertaken to institute and put in as a part of their ritual were not biblical practices, were not biblical in their theological origins. And much had been brought into the church, the doctrines and the liturgy of the church and the structure of the church that in fact was anti-biblical. And so the Protestant Reformation was formed. And everywhere there was a leader, you found those who adhered to the teachings of that leader pretty much determined what would later become a denomination. 
For instance, those who followed Calvin, as well as some of those who followed John Knox in Scotland, became Presbyterians. Those who followed the King of England, Henry VIII, and later some of the reformers that uh, followed Henry became Anglican, Church of England, or as we know it in the United States, the Episcopal Church. And those who followed Martin Luther came to be known as Lutheran. That's pretty simple, isn't it? (laughs) Named after the founder himself. And all these different expressions of the church, known by their name, in some ways came under competition one with another. Now, that's not a good word, and it doesn't express exactly all that went on in those days. But suffice it to say, when we come here to 2018, we find so many denominations, so many different groups that all claim to be a church, that sometimes it's difficult to tell which one is right and which one is wrong. And you know how we can guide ourselves to thinking which one is right and which one is wrong? There's only one true test. And the test is, do they adhere to the scriptures for their practice, their teaching, their doctrine? And I would say to you, it's possible for different Christian groups to appeal to the scriptures, and not everybody who appeals to the scriptures would agree on everything. But if they accept the basic tenets of the scripture, the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can say they are a church. But where they differ from Scripture, where they walk away from Scripture, we can say that's not a biblical New Testament church. Now, here's the thesis of what I'm going to say to you. Every born-again person, everyone who says, I've been saved, I've been washed in the blood, I've been converted, I'm truly a Christian person, should be a part of a church that holds to the historic Orthodox Christian faith. I would say those churches are known as evangelical churches. Now, to say it's an evangelical church means this. It means that these people believe that each individual has to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what an evangelical is, one who believes you must have a personal faith relationship with Jesus Christ to be a Christian. You need to be born again to be a Christian. And beyond Beyond that, there may be areas where we disagree. For instance, some of these evangelical churches don't baptize by immersion. They sprinkle. Some of them even sprinkle babies and call it baptism. But they still believe that that baby has to trust in Jesus Christ to be saved. And so those people, those evangelical believers, even though we may disagree on things like baptism or church government or church organization, We say that's the church to which at least you should belong and be a member and a participating member. Okay? Do like this if you got it. Okay? So we have an evangelical belief that Jesus is the only way to heaven, and you receive him as Lord and Savior, and you're a part of a church that believes and teaches that. That's what we're talking about today when we're saying every Christian should be a part of a local church. And you say, well, Ron, why would you say that? Well, I'm glad you asked. I want to give you ten reasons. Ten reasons why every born-again person should be a member of a local church. Now, I'm not saying that the Baptist church is the only church or is the only correct church. I'm just simply saying that if Jesus was on earth, he wouldn't have to move his membership very far 
Uh, he would be a member of a local, can I say it, Baptist church. Well, maybe that's going a little bit too far. Let's don't, let's don't get into that today. Okay, here's number one. Number one. Membership in a local church is a public testimony to your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, notice in the Bible, Jesus never called any secret disciples. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. He may have become a believer. We don't know for certain. But you see, he never publicly identified with Jesus, and he wasn't counted among the followers of Jesus. And so in the church today, we invite people to make a public profession of faith. And to join the church, you have to say publicly, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. We had a, a man in our church up in West Virginia who was a member. In fact, he was the church treasurer. He was very active. He was committed to our church. And uh, they had actually, he and his wife had actually transferred membership from another church into our church. And so one Sunday morning when he came forward during the invitation time, I said, Joe, why have you come this morning? He said, well, I've come to profess my faith in Jesus. And I said, well, that's wonderful, but I thought you were already a believer. He said, well, I have been a believer for a number of years, but I have never publicly professed my faith. Now, I don't know how he got in the other church, but he wanted to make sure that he had publicly professed his faith in Jesus Christ. And so one thing membership is about is publicly professing your faith. Now, that goes all the way back to the Bible days. Jesus only called people to publicly follow him. He said to Matthew at the tax table one day, come and follow me. He said to, to, to uh, John and Peter, he said, come and follow me. Leave your nets behind and come and follow me. And so it is right, it is good. For a person who wants to follow Jesus Christ to be a member of a local church where they can be professing their faith publicly, mark this down as a scripture reference, Matthew 10, 32 and 33, Jesus said, if you deny me before men, then I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. But if you confess me before men, then I will confess you before my Father in heaven. And so the idea of public profession is a good thing. I had a man in Mount Pleasant who came to me one time. He'd been attending our services. He said, Pastor, I need to get baptized. I said, that's great. Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? He said, yes, I'm a believer. But he said, I grew up in a church that didn't baptize people who were uh, older. They only baptized babies, and I've never been really baptized by immersion. And I said, that's great. I'd be happy to baptize. So now, let me ask you, Pastor, uh, can we do this in private? <laughs> I said, no, we don't do private baptisms. We don't do it in private. We only do baptisms in a worship service or in some special time where people are invited to attend. There's no such thing as a private follower of Jesus. And so we did baptize the man in a worship service. Number two, membership who is and who is not in of Christ. Y'all see this thing cutting in and out? Guys, am I doing something I shouldn't do? I don't know what that is. Well, you just pretend like it's instead of something in the system, okay? Second reason, membership is a definition. It says, okay, you're in the church, you're not in the church. Now, that doesn't mean you can't attend the church if you're not a member. We invite anybody and everybody to attend the church. And the sad thing is most people don't care. They don't come anyway. <laughs> 
And certainly there are times when people change churches. I mean, I'm not saying there's a, it's a bad thing. Sometimes it's a good thing to change churches if there's a reason. And there's sometimes good reasons why you need to change churches. And so you need to visit a church and you need to understand uh, what that church is about. You need to understand where that church is going before you join. But when you join, you are giving definition to a specific group of people who make up that particular part of the body of Christ. Now, I'm aware of at least one denomination that does not have a membership in the church. I was quite surprised years ago when I learned this, but there was a church out in our town, and uh, they were a nice uh, congregation, sizable. They weren't really that big, but they were a moderate-sized church. They had a lovely building and very fully functioning activities, and everything was going along, and I discovered you can't join that church. They don't have a membership list. They don't have a membership role. And that whole denomination is the same way. And so their basic of operation is whoever shows up and is faithful to that local assembly, those are the ones who would be asked to teach a class or serve in some capacity in the church, but they really have no membership. Well, I don't think Jesus did it that way. Jesus called 12 men to be his disciples, his apostles. And he said, you come and follow me, and you be in my inner court. Now, there are a lot of people who came along and followed Jesus from time to time, some who maybe only were there for a little space, and maybe they, they couldn't go follow him anymore. But there was a specific group of people that were called the disciples. And in every local church, there is a specific group of people called the members of that church, and that defines who that church is. And we may have folks who are perennial members. I was in Mount Pleasant First Baptist for almost 19 years, and there were folks who worshiped there regularly. I'm convinced they gave there regularly, though I don't know that for a fact. But they never joined. They never joined. And I think it's sad because they never officially said, count me in, I want to be a part of this church. You can count on me. I'm here. Third reason why you should be a member of a local church is it brings you in. Watch care and protection of biblical shepherds. Last Sunday, as some of you may remember, I preached about the role of the different officers in the church. We saw in chapter 6 of Acts where they elected the first men that I think were the deacons of the church. And then we looked in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and saw that there were qualifications for two offices in the church, elders and, pastor and, and deacons. Or we might call the elders bishops, or we might call them overseers, or we might even call them pastors. And so here we find that these officers in the church, biblically ordained, biblically called, biblically selected, biblically installed, and part of the job of the shepherds, that would be the pastors, the elders, the overseers, bishops, whatever we call that office, and the deacons, are to give watch care over the people who are in the church. And I know the deacons of this church take seriously their role. I've been in the meetings with the deacons. And I know they consider issues that go on in the church, not just with the organizations, but with the individuals and families in the church. And they have charge to be able to minister to, to care for, to shepherd the people in the church. And so do the pastors. And currently you have me as a fill-in interim, and then you have Bryant uh, Shipton, who is the regular pastor of worship and administration. We take seriously, and we discuss each week in our staff meeting who needs a, a touch, who needs to be visited in the hospital, who needs to be visited at home. 
And so whenever there are other pastors added, presumably you'll have a senior pastor soon, one day. Presumably you'll have a minister to youth or maybe a minister to children or maybe some other staff position. And these who are called pastors are the ones who are given the responsibility for watch care over your souls. Now, it's not that the pastor cannot mention to people outside the flock, but his primary responsibility and that for which God will hold me responsible are for those people who were in the flock that I had charge of. God won't say to me, hey, what did you do with those people at First Baptist of Charleston? Lord, I didn't do anything with them, I promise. I didn't hurt them. But he will ask me, how did you handle those folks over in Mount Pleasant where you were pastor for all those years? How did you handle the situation at Highland Park Baptist when you were pastor there years ago? How did you deal with that? You see, I have responsibility to give watch care over the members of the flock. How do you do that? Well, it'd be nice if I could come and sip lemonade with you every afternoon at your house, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> There's not enough time for that. You don't want to be that sick, right, for me to have to come to your house to visit you? But primarily, the pastors are in charge of making sure you get fed a proper diet of spiritual food. Primarily, pastors are in charge of leading the sheep to green pastures, leading the sheep to quiet waters, of leading the sheep when they're lost or when they're stumbling or when they're sick, of going out to find them and going out to help them and to minister to them. And so when you join a church, you put yourself under the watch care of the ministers, the, the pastors, and the deacons of that church. And you need it, and I need it as well. The fourth reason why you should be a member of a local church is because membership provides opportunity for spiritual community and fellowship. You see, when you join a church, you naturally become a part of that congregation, and you naturally begin to form friendships and friendships with Christians in the church should be your first avenue of fellowship and growth. How does that happen? Well, it happens through worship services. It happens through Sunday school classes. It happens through small groups. It happens through acquaintances with spiritually minded brothers and sisters in the fellowship. And that's one of the reasons why every Christian needs to be a part of a small group. Now, in our churches, Southern Baptist churches, we have traditionally called these small groups what? Sunday school classes, that's right. Like, I don't know if you remember this, but I said this years ago. I think it was right here at Highland Park. I said, if you don't have a Sunday, if you're not in the Sunday school, you ain't got no class. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> kind of corny, I guess, too. But we always wanted to try to encourage people to be a part of a Sunday school class. And one of my goals as a pastor has always been, let's start new classes whenever we can. New classes grow better than old classes. I could take you today to a men's Sunday school class, and I won't mention the name of the church in Mount Pleasant that I'm talking about. But, uh, you know, you have to be careful what seat you sit in because those guys almost like have assigned seats. Better not get in somebody's seat. They'll, they'll look at you pretty hard and ask you to move, maybe. You know, it's kind of hard to join a class like that, isn't it? But if you have a teacher and a couple of helpers and a space, some place to meet, you can start a new class and people will be glad to come to a new class where nobody's got dibs on the seats. 
and you'll be able to bring people in who perhaps never were in Sunday school before, or small groups that meet outside the church building or not on a Sunday. We've found that to be a very effective means of discipleship, that people seem to learn better and grow better in small groups than they do in a formal class or even in a worship service. And so people should join a church because it helps them with their community, it helps them with their fellowship, it helps them to be a part of something bigger than themselves. Number five, memberships bring context to Christian virtues, and we're talking about those listed, spiritual discipline, spiritual fruit, and spiritual gifts. Now, I say context, okay, how can you be encouraged and taught what the spiritual disciplines are? Well, you could read a book about it, but you could also be under the teaching of a biblical shepherd who teaches about it, and you could be in a small group like a Sunday school class who study about it, and that becomes a big encouragement for you. What about spiritual fruit? Well, to have spiritual fruit, the Spirit of God living in you develops that fruit, but the nurture you receive in a local church provides the fertilizer and provides the pruning that it takes for spiritual fruit to be developed to its fullest. And what about spiritual gifts? Most of the spiritual gifts are to be used in the context of a local church. We find there are three basic passages in the New Testament that talk about spiritual gifts. There's Romans 12, there's 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4. And most of those 18 or 19 gifts, however you count them, are to be used in the context of the local church. How we treat one another, how we serve one another, how we worship and serve the Lord. And so if you are a Christian, how can you have full development of your giftedness? How can you have full expression of your fruit unless it's in the context of a church? Number six, membership determines who can be counted on to serve, to pray, to give, and to attend. Let's just say uh, you wanted to fight in the war in Afghanistan. I mean, that would be kind of crazy to think about, but there have been some people who've said that. Let's just say you wanted to be a part of the fighting force that's fighting for freedom on, on many of the fronts that are being fought today, especially in the Middle East. So what would you do? Well, you get yourself some gear, you get yourself a gun or two, and you get an airline flight to go over to the Middle East and report to the U.S. Army. They say, hey, I'm here. And they say, here, what are you here for? Well, I'm here to serve. I'm here to fight up. And they say, well, what unit are you in? Well, I don't know. I just came on my own. I said, well, you can't. You can't be a part of this battle. Why is that? Well, you're not in the Army. You're not in the Marine Corps. Now, I think that's a little bit ridiculous in the illustration, yet it shows the point. When the Army gets ready to move and do something, who do they call on to do it? Well, those who are signed up those who have accepted the challenge and signed on the dotted line and gone through basic training and then specialized training and, and they become a part of a force that's been training and training and training before they go into a battle. And so in the church, when we look for people to serve in certain positions or whatever the position or maybe it's even a committee, what do we do? Do we look for the people out in the community to serve? Not at all. Do we go across the street to some of the apartments and go down door to door? Hey, we need some people to serve on this team. Would you help us? Not at all. Who do we look to? We look to the members. We look to the members. I've always been against the idea of the church raising funds through having sales. 
I don't know what you believe about that. We didn't do that when I was here before. But what we do sometimes, what some churches do, is they, they ask the public to fund their operation. They ask the public to pay for what happens in the church. That's not right. It's God's people who should support God's work in the local church. And so if you're going to be counted on, if you can be counted on, it's because you've signed up and said, hey, I commit myself to this local body. It's like joining the army. You can, you can count on me. You can call on me. I will pray for this church. I will attend this church. I will work toward the benefits of this church. I will give my tithes and offerings through this church. You can count on me. And I think sometimes that may be a reason why some folks don't want to join a church. They don't want to be counted on. They don't want to be a, a one in the spotlight. They want to be anonymous. And they want to be uh, what some would call a member at large. But we don't depend on that. You shouldn't, I should say, here at Highland Park Baptist Church. Now, number seven, if you're following along in your notes... Membership raises one's commitment to spreading the gospel locally and globally. How does that work? Well, let's use another example that may be off the wall. I know that there are people in this church who are members of other organizations besides the church. I remember one time being the guest of one of the members of Highland Park Church at a Rotary Club. I know there was a time uh, many years ago when my dad uh, was a member of the Lions Club. I know there are Kiwanis Clubs and other social or benevolent or good organizations. Nothing wrong with these organizations. But you see, none of them have been tasked with winning the world to Jesus Christ. The Great Commission was not given to the Rotary Club, folks. The Great Commission was not given to the Lions Club or to the Masonic Organization. The Great Commission was given to the church. And that's why we have services that usually include an evangelistic invitation for people to receive Christ. That's who we are. That's what we do. That's one of the purposes of the church, evangelizing the lost. And so when you join a church, you're joining your spiritual gifts, your resources, your efforts, your availability to help the church reach people who are lost in the local community. But beyond that, whenever we give money to the Charleston Baptist Association, it's going to help win lost people around Charleston to Christ through starting new churches, through strengthening older churches, through bringing on leadership strengths. And when you give money through the cooperative program, which this church does faithfully, some of that money goes throughout South Carolina to sponsor evangelism and mission. Some of it goes beyond to the, South, uh, to the Southern Baptist Convention, where we have about 45, 4,700 missionaries who serve overseas in many different countries, about 106 different countries, to win the world to Jesus. And only by being a part of a local church can you be involved in something as grand and as great as this gospel outreach is. Do you know we have more missionaries than any other evangelical organization in the world? We do. I'm not boasting. I'm just simply saying as a group, Southern Baptists have taken pretty seriously the role of world evangelization. And so by joining a church, you're joining yourself with that effort. 
And every dollar you put in the offering plate, some of that money will go towards evangelism locally in the state of South Carolina and even globally. You're joining yourself with those efforts. Number eight, membership shows that you care for the spiritual welfare of other believers. What other believers? The other believers in this church. Nothing excites the membership of a church more than to see other people join that church. Groucho Marx, some of you don't know who that is, but for those of you who are older, remember who Groucho Marx was. He once famously said, I wouldn't be a member of a club that would have me for a member. (laughs) Well, guess what? We're open for those who desire to be members of this church. And the Lord willing, next week I plan to talk about what are the requirements for membership. What do you have to do or be to be a member of this church? But you are actually committing yourself to helping others within the church to grow by encouraging them, by being partners with them in small groups, by being partners with them through prayer, by being a part of the body that can be counted on for effective service to the Lord, by giving your tithes and offerings, by using your spiritual gifts, by displaying your spiritual fruit in the local community for the sake of other believers to help to encourage and in turn to be helped by them. You know, we had an example here this week of how we encourage and help one another. We had a a member who passed away. Well, I learned he actually wasn't a member. Uh, He he was a member of the Sunday school. I'm talking about uh, Mr. Rabin. We had his service here on Friday. And you should have seen the outpouring of people who came to visit. And then this bottom level of the sanctuary was literally filled with people who came to that funeral. And many of them were church members. Maybe some of you were here. And uh, Mrs. Rayburn, Barbara told me, she said, tell people, don't bring any more food. She said, our house is full and running over. We don't have any place to put it, and we can't eat it all, and I'm going to have to find somebody else who can use it because it'll spoil if it stays around my house. Well, see, that's about what happens when church members care for one another. That's just one little example of what happens. And so we need each other. We can help each other, and so we join to be a part of that. Number nine, Membership is a protection against being a spiritual dropout. Seems like I've known in every church I've served some people who did not want to join the church for whatever reason. I don't argue with people. I don't, I don't try to twist arms and convince people they ought to do something like that. But what I found was if people don't make a commitment to join the church, they find it very easy to stop attending, especially if something happens that doesn't go their way. And we have a lot of that today in America. Commitment to the local church is counterintuitive, especially to younger generations of Christians. And so if you don't join something, it's very easy for you to drop out and to get out of the habit of going. One of the things I really like about my dentist is she reminds me very often how I need to come back and see her. (laughs) You know, when you go for an appointment, whether it's a checkup or a filling or whatever you have done, before you leave, they want you to make another appointment. And then once you make the other appointment, they email it to you and make sure that you get it on your calendar. And then about uh, six weeks before your appointment is due, they send you another reminder. And then about a week before, they call you on the phone and say, hey, you're coming. And between that call and the actual time, they send you a text message. Now, you know, we don't do that in the church, but it's almost as though I have joined my dentist's practice 
and I'm being counted as a member, and I am, and that's part of their process. Now, you can understand why people need encouragement to go to the dentist. I don't know anybody that really enjoys going, even though she's a friend and she's a sweet lady. You know, it's not my favorite activity to go to the dentist. So what is it like in a church? You know, if you're not a member, you can just drop in whenever you feel like it and don't feel any guilt because you're not a member. You're not expected to be there all the time. Uh, You don't have any problem when the offering plate passes, not putting anything in because you're not a member. You're not expected to pay for anything at the church. Or even at best, you might tip God, you know, give him a 20. That's more than you give the waitress down at the restaurant. So, So tip God a 20. Isn't that very generous of you to tip God $20? Wow. But after all, if you're not a member, what does it matter? You know, you're not responsible for turning the light bill on and uh, keeping the gas running. And so when you join a church, when you say, I'm a member, I want to be a member, you're saying to yourself, I don't want to drop out, I want to be counted on, I want to grow spiritually, and this helps you with the problem of being a dropout or being a church hopper, a church hopper. You know, you go to this church a while, you go to this church a while, and I've heard people say things like this, well, pastor, when I find the perfect church, then I'm going to join. Yeah, lots of luck. When you join, it won't be perfect anymore. You can't join a church, and that church be a perfect church. And then number 10, membership provides an avenue for spiritual growth. How does that happen? Well, worshiping. I think the number one thing that helps many people with their spiritual growth is what takes place in this one hour or maybe hour and 15 or 20 minutes on Sunday morning called the worship service. We grow through worship. We grow through hearing the word of God proclaimed. And hopefully, if you're also in a small group like a Sunday school class, you're going to grow through that as well. And so if you want to grow spiritually, one of the first things you need to do is start praying and reading your Bible at home. Second thing you need to do is get into a good Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Bible-preaching church. And then the next thing you need to do is get into a small group in that church, and you'll grow. Two conclusions before we close the service today. Joining the church to counter by principle, don't believe in membership in anything. And so when you say, I want to join a church, some people look and say, why would you want to do that? You know, why would you want to step into something that makes you smell? Well, because it pleases God is one thing. And because the church is bigger than I am, and it's something that I need for my own sake. And then the last thing is this, and I got this from Bill Hybels. I know he's been kind of discredited these days, but listen, he's right on this. The church, the local church, is the hope of the world. That's right. There's nothing in the world that's been commissioned by God like the local church. Nothing in the world can help families, can help raise kids, can help people put people on the right path, can deal with issues that families face day in and day out. Nothing in the world has the hope and the potential for hope that the local church gives. I'm sold on it. You say, well, you ought to be. You're the preacher. Even when I'm not preaching someplace, I want to be in a worship service in a local church, and I want to be committed to that church. Now, let me tell you what we're going to do. 
on the last Sunday of this series, and I'll announce that date soon, after the service on Sunday, we're going to have a membership class. I know this is different, okay? I'm not trying to usurp the authority of the church, but I'm just saying for this special series of messages, we're going to have a special class. And at that class, if you'd like to join or even investigate joining without promising or committing to join, we're going to have a class to talk about what it means to be a member at, at Highland Park Baptist Church. And at that time, if you're prepared and ready to commit yourself to membership, you can do that at that time. And then at the next church conference, the church will vote to bring you into membership if you meet the requirements. Let's stand together. We're going to pray, and, and then you will be dismissed. Father in heaven, we thank you that you started the church, that you've called each of us to be a part of it. And we pray that you'll guide us in our lives to be faithful to the church where you place us, the church you call us to, that we might be a part of your army through that local body. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.